0: Hello and welcome to Casual Kirby. That's right, we're not doing Casual Krakoa today. Okay, we will a little bit, a little bit, but today is going to be a Casual Kirby takeover. I'm most interested in what's going on with the Eternals right now, the comic book series, the MCU film. I'm going to talk about that a bit today. We will touch a little bit on today's X-Men comics. We got Hellions number 17, Excalibur number 25 if that's what you're here for normally i will be talking about that as we go but i do want to talk about thoughts on the marvel cinematic universe entry of the eternals franchise as well as eternals number seven because this run is very interesting and i actually think it has some interesting things to say about what's going on with the x-men franchise and some of the areas where, uh, where we, we could be looking for things moving forward, okay? I think there's some opportunity. Spoilers today will follow for all of the issues described in the title, as well as potentially Eternals in the MCU, okay? If you haven't seen it yet, spoilers may follow, so you may want to jump ahead or avoid. Again, I'm Dave, founder, editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. you like the comic book herald youtube channel please go ahead like and subscribe and share the videos and comment here it all helps me out a great deal but today's just going to be kind of a freeform conversation talking all things eternals in the mcu eternals number seven and then we'll dig into the x-men issues um which both fine fine issues um no major major revelations today i think there's some Potentially interesting stuff happening Excalibur. Hellions continues to be great. Uh, love that run, right? So, like, whatever your standing was on these runs prior to today, it probably is sustained <laughs> after reading both the comics that came out today. Okay? If you are here with me live, go ahead and get your questions in, uh, get your comments in in the chat. I will try to answer any that I can. Uh, anything entered in the Super Chat, which is open, and donates to Comic Book Herald, which is greatly appreciated, I will prioritize and answer for. Uh, but, of course, you know, just be respectful and, and polite of those around you, and, uh, and and we'll be good, right? So, all right, let's dig into it. Let's talk the Eternals takeover here of Casual Kirby, and then again, eventually, we will get to all things X-Men. Uh, so, I'm going to start with the film, all right? I'm going to start with Eternals in the MCU. I saw it this weekend. It was my first time in theaters, and uh, since Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey, actually— Um, and, uh, and it was enjoyable. It was an enjoyable experience. My, my expectations were tremendously low, right? My expectations were very healthily down. (laughs) It was getting, the film's gotten absolutely savage critically, um, compared to the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, I'm sure you've seen it has been, uh, really, really talked down. Okay. Which helps. It helps lower expectations. Uh, If you go in with too high expectations, definitely for myself, expecting things, wanting things from different Marvel Comics properties, uh, it can be very disappointing. I did not have that problem. I did not have that problem with the Eternals movie because I didn't expect it to be great, and it wasn't. It's not great, but it was enjoyable. I had a fun time. I had a nice time. Uh, It is smack. I ranked it smack in the middle. Smack in the middle of my MCU rankings. You can find my full review. I wrote it up, uh, I published on Monday on comicbookherald.com where all my stuff goes. But again, I've got, I've been doing tiers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe since I started Comic Book Herald, you know, 2011. Uh, my tier four is the perfectly average film set. And obviously, this is going to be variable depending on which mov- movies you love the most. Um, everyone's lists are very different. Uh, for me, that means Eternals fell like literally smack in the middle. my rankings i've got it just below guardians of the galaxy volume 2 black widow iron man 3 then i've got eternals it's number 20 on my list i include things like the netflix shows, like basically anything marvel that's live action that has come out in the era of marvel cinematic universe i include as sort of a this is worth ranking thing but then right below eternals i got ant-man and the wasp captain marvel avengers 2 ant-man okay so for me a, a perfectly average enjoyable film uh if you like the Eternals, if you like all things Marvel Studios, this probably worked for you. I think the the savaging of this film, the idea that it is in some way the worst of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is absurd. I think that that piece of it is absolutely absurd to me. Um, I Again, I don't want to overstate it to the point where I'm like, it is a lost masterpiece. It's not. But it, it it definitely is not that out of step or that out of line with Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff that isn't particularly special. Okay. Um, it was okay, I think, in most regards. And there's some stuff that I actually thought was very interesting. So, all right, let's talk about plot. Let's talk about what actually happened here in Eternals. Um, I've done a couple videos on the YouTube channel, *Easing Eternals, for the first couple issues of the ongoing Karen Gillan, Esau, Ravitch, Matthew Wilson, uh, Clayton Cowell's run. Um, I haven't done a ton since. So that's why I want to talk a bit about Eternals number seven today. I think I may have a video coming based on this. Uh, the events of that issue, that'll more fully explore what's going on in Eternals lore. But the Gillen and Roy Bich run and Matthew Wilson and, and Clayton Cowles, it has really amplified my hopes and dreams and enjoyment of the franchise. Um, I've often said, you know, the original Jack Kirby series, the, the late 70s Eternals, visually, I love it uh, uh, in terms of plot and material. It literally put me to sleep the first time I read through it. Return visits have helped some. I think as the run progresses, there's some cons- – like like Kirby is the king, but he's also the king of concepts. And conceptually, there's some really fun eternal stuff. When, when you dig into it, I at least realize like, oh, it's not just Kirby doing a worse version of his DC fourth world, which is probably the, the easiest and the fastest conclusion to come to. Um, but it's, it's quite literally saying, what if superheroes were the basis – of all of Earth's mythology and then playing with that. And so so there's obviously cool concept stuff, but I've never loved it. I've never loved it until the current ongoing written by Karen Gillan with art by Issa Ribich, okay? Um, and that that has definitely helped, I think, heading into this movie because I'm just more immersed and more engaged with Eternals lore. Now, the film, the MCU, doesn't do a heck of a lot with Eternals lore, uh, but to be fair, it has a lot of ground to cover, okay? So like my working assumption was that introducing the Eternals in the MCU would allow a chance to explore Thanos' family. You know, and I use the term loosely, right? And the society that the greatest supervillain of the MCU's Infinity Saga came from. It's not that a comic, like Eternals comics are devoid of their own hooks or appeal, but any success the franchise has had, it-, it just pales in comparison to what you can do with Jim Starlin's Thanos. You know, obviously a bigger character, um, the basis for the Infinity Saga in the MCU, right? So like, and this fact is pretty clearly not lost. Kieran Gillen and Issa Ravitch, right? The, the comics creators who are doing the relaunch 2021 Eternal series. As we see in Eternals number seven today, the brilliance of Gillen, I think, with this book is to just totally acknowledge that, like, yeah, the most interesting thing about the Eternals is these lost, really never-before-properly-explored connections to the Mad Titan. And he's right. And it's making Eternals truly, truly fantastic. I thought the MCU would do this because it is such a Thanos-driven era, Right post-Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, like we are in the aftermath of Thanos wiping out half the galaxy, it would be a great time for an Eternals team franchise to launch and be like, oh, yeah, sorry about that. He's our long-lost cousin or whatever you want to call him, you know? So I really thought that was the direction they were going to go. Obviously, they did none of that, okay? If you've seen the film, that does not happen. They do not get into it. They do tease out that they might get there. Um, they're going to slow play it. Okay. I'm surprised by that. I'm a little disappointed by that, but nonetheless, nonetheless, this origin story, this filling out the roster of a phase four of Marvel that is kind of devoid. It kind of has a hole where its Avengers should be, right? It's got a hole filling out like all these superheroes that were quote-unquote lost, right? Black Widow, Iron Man, uh, Captain America, Thor to a degree going out in space, right? You sort of lose a center and they're trying to fill it back in. They're trying to fill it with Shang-Chi. They're trying to fill it with Yelena Belova. They're trying to fill it with the Eternals, okay? And as an origin movie, which I'm just inherently less excited about, if I'm being honest, Eternals, you know, directed here and co-written by Oscar-winning Chloe Zhao, it's got a massive amount of ground to cover and it's it's too long, (laughs) two hours and 40 minutes, it generally does it pretty well. It does it pretty well. Not amazing. The Eternals roster consists of 10 godlike beings in a dense century spanning mythology tied to the Celestials, right? Like that's a lot of stuff to have to explain. That's a lot to introduce in a single movie. And I was pleasantly surprised to see Zhao and company pull it off within reason you know, within reason, right? We're seeing Zack Snyder's vision for Justice League as a frequent early comparison point for the film for a lot of reasons, the biggest of which I'll get to, but the Joss Whedon (coughs) directed... (coughs) (coughs) Pardon me. Directed theatrical cut, like, that made it clear to me more than anything how hard it is to introduce big chunks of a super team and simultaneously keep a narrative rolling, right? If you want an example of a film that fails to do that within theatrical, uh, you know, cut time constraints... The Joss Whedon Justice League, right? Eternals manages to successfully explain the core dynamics of ten different characters and without any of the benefit of an audience's pre-built knowledge base. That's pretty incredible, you know. Like like Whedon Justice League has the advantage of like yeah, most people know Flash's deal, you know. Like like that is a known thing. Same with Aquaman. Uh, nobody has that for Ajax. Nobody has that for Kingo. Okay, even I don't. And I like I really I've enjoyed a lot of Eternals comics, you know. So. On that level, on that level, I think I think Eternals was honestly a success. Like, I actually cared about these 10 characters. I had a good feel for who they were as individuals. I think that has gone pretty underrated in the shuffle and in the clear pile on to say, all right, Marvel's fatigue, here we go. We finally got an opportunity to really jump on and uh, and celebrate all of us being fatigued by this. Uh, I'm seeing a comment here by CT, Marvel has to stop slow playing their movies. I'm losing interest quickly. I think this is a really important point for where the mcu is at right now because i think the thing that i didn't necessarily expect or wasn't quite ready for was for phase four post infinity war and end which i loved absolutely loved i didn't anticipate the mcu to fully go back to phase one mentality right of origins and of introductions and of filling a universe with heroes i was not prepared for that hard dip Back to that level of pacing and plotting, you know, um, and I so like if you think about phase one of the MCU at the time, Iron Man was a bolt of lightning. That was exciting. Something's happening here. They're onto something. They actually made a good movie. I didn't think they would. Right? I was in like I was in the mindset at that point. Post-Spider-Man 3, post-X3, of like, okay, superhero movies generally kind of suck. <laughs> they generally don't give me what I kind of would prefer, which I didn't know at the time, but ultimately was actual comics. Um, it, but Iron Man sort of blew that out of the water, right? And then obviously, we like now, the story is like, and then they were off to the races. No, that's not actually how it played out. Then they released a Hulk origin that no one talks about anymore. Then they released a Thor origin that ranks near the bottom of most people's lists. Then the Captain America origin, right? Iron Man 2 is one of my least favorite MCU entries. That comes in there. Um, The Cap origin, in retrospect, like there's been a renaissance of like, hey, Captain America First Avenger, actually one of the best MCU movies. But at the time, at the time, that was definitely not my attitude. Now it is, now it is. But at the time, it was not, okay? So the MCU slowly built, to Avengers. Avengers was huge. They nailed it. It was great. Huge, huge success. And then we're off to the races. Okay. But phase one is a slow origin phase build. And phase four is mirroring that very, very deliberately. Okay. Very, very intentionally. So to your point, CT, about them slow playing it, I kind of agree. I, I mean, I think the one upside for where the MCU is at right now is the Disney Plus shows, are actually pushing forward and actually introducing more new things and more big picture vision, especially Loki right, by the end of it, than anything in the actual movies. Um, so because we have those shows, I actually feel a little more satiated. I actually feel a little more satisfied with the the developments of like, okay, where's this stuff going? What are we building towards? Why are we telling these stories now? You know, where's this all going? Then the movies, which are kind of just like, hey, let's get to know the Eternals, okay? Um, but again, I mean, I think like Eternals, when you think about it in terms of needing to introduce 10 characters with this really dense mythology, I think it does a pretty decent job. Um, I prefer to view this movie as like Marvel's Squadron Supreme by way of Heralds of Galactus. You know, I mean, many of the Eternals share visual motifs and literal power sets with members of the Justice League. Marvel's inversion of the Justice League is, of course, the Squadron Supreme. And then the wrinkle in that is you basically have them as heralds of Galactus here, except they're heralds of Celestials. You know, they're the avenging angels of the Celestials. They come and prepare planets for planetary destruction. It's very Silver Surfer in Galactus in terms of how these are utilized. Honestly, to the point, it's to the point where I'm like, I don't know if they can, the MCU can introduce the Silver Surfer and Galactus in a Fantastic Four movie now and not have their deal be fairly different. Like, because if the Silver Surfer's weighing all of the, what's the value of Earth's lives, and should I allow Galactus to consume this planet, like, that conversation just happened in Eternals, you know? Like, it, it happened very, very specifically and over and over again, sometimes very hokily, you know, in terms of, like, there's good in people, and we shouldn't kill them, even though I've spent centuries planning to do so. Um, I don't think you can do that with Silver Surfer and Galactus right now. So I found that a little strange, even though that's years down the road given how these things play out. I don't anticipate the first Fantastic Four movie will touch it. You know, I, I'd be surprised, at least. You know, be interesting. All right, so they, so they got to do something different there. Um, but regardless, like, again, it's a decent origin. I think if it's your first exposure to the Eternals, I feel like that would be a lot to take in. And I think that's where we're going to go next, is kind of talking about how the current Eternals run by Karen Gillan and Isada Ribich, is actually like the most exciting I've found any Eternals comics. It's a great place to jump to if you came in from that movie thinking, that was interesting, there's there's meat on the bone here, but I want to see this explored like in full. That's what this run is doing, um, and I think it's doing it very well. So before I talk about that, you know, I do want to talk about the post credit scenes. Obviously, those, those actually had the biggest marvel cinematic universe like new stuff in terms of like connecting to where the universe is going and what it might do um that basically all came in the post credits uh though you know the, like the second one obviously like we have the black knight okay so dane whitman is in this movie i thought john snow did a, a solid job as dane he made him more charming than he usually is dane's not a particularly engaging character um at least until like the recent size Furrier mini you know it's never been a character that i've cared a heck of a lot about um but uh but Jon snow plays it well the the curse of the ebony blade okay sure been there done that uh but the cool part obviously uh, of that end credits is marshall ali's voice as blade showing up and saying are you sure you want to do that mr whitman um this was unexpected this was cool i didn't see this coming i think you know blade and black knight don't really have a long comics history so i am interested in the idea potentially of blade and sort of midnight sunsing his way through like the mystical artifacts. Of the mcu i think that could be really cool I, I think you know as we're expanding what magic is and what the dark holds role is you know post wandavision obviously dr strange i'm sure will get into this next year um bringing blade into that more thoroughly because he's connected to the supernatural and vampires and all that i think it's a smart idea uh and it, it could set up a, a corner or a faction of the mcu that is really really fascinating i think bringing Jon snow or bringing um dane Whitman, excuse me black knight into that could be a, a perfect fit because if Black Knight's just like hanging out with the Eternals, that's that's gonna get awkward, <laughs> you know. That's not a perfect fit. I'm not super excited about Black Knight the Avenger. I think that gets kind of boring. I actually like the idea of bringing him more into the supernatural side and doing more stuff with Dane as you know someone fighting the supernatural and the Darkhold and all that. I think that could work really really well. So I think that's a cool angle. We'll see what happens there. The the mid credit scene was the biggest one in terms of where Eternals is going and where Marvel Cosmic is going because we have the introduction of good old Pip the Troll and Eros, brother of Thanos, a.k.a. Star Fox. Um, I'm a huge Jim Starlin fan. You know, love, love, love Jim Starlin's Infinity Saga, his Thanos, his Adam Warlock. Uh, Pip the Troll is always, like, that grating, sort of irritating, like, flex of Jim Starlin's where he's, like... I know you love it. I can do whatever I want. And clearly past the point of having much value or use, it's just clearly a creator favorite. I'm more pro Pip the Troll probably just because of my affinity for Starlin as a comics creator, but I don't actually like Pip the Troll. Nonetheless, I really like Patton Oswalt as his voice. I thought the CGI for Pip was uh, weird. (laughs) Like, I was absolutely taken aback um i was i i don't know if it was just where i was sitting being in a theater for the first time in a long time i thought the cgi for pip was like really off-putting and strange i hope that gets fixed before pip shows up again uh and then of course harry styles as eros Thanos's brother like that's what i wanted more of in this movie was those familial connections to the mad titan obviously they're teasing out that that stuff's going to happen later um so okay Sure. So I don't know. Let me know what you all think about like what these these character introductions could mean uh, if you bought into, you know, this movie is actually awful versus no, it's fine. What are people talking about? You know, uh, shout it out in the comment here. And uh, and I'll be I'll be checking that out as I go, you know, but what I do want to say, I think especially coming out of this is if you like the movie or were interested in the movie check out the ongoing Eternals run written by Karen Gillan, art by Isidarevich. Again, colors, Matthew Wilson, letters, Clayton Cowles. It is great. It is the best Eternals has been. It's my favorite, one of my favorite Marvel comics of 2021. Um, It's really, really good. It's six issues so far. There's two one shots, Celestia. And what is it? Something with Thanos. Um, And then Eternals number seven came out today. Uh, It does a ton, a ton of work explaining the legacy and the lore of this franchise while also reinventing them. You know, it's not quite that House of X powers a 10 level of reinvention, but it's very much in that vein. Gillen's leaning into like the data pages of Hickman, but he's doing so in increasingly very useful and smart ways. I love the inclusion of one today that was like Druig's cheat sheet for how he's going to gather votes for a thing that's going on in this issue. Um, I'm not even going to spoil what's going on in this issue beyond the the images that are popping up around me here because I think probably more people need to catch up on this over time. And and I would like to let listeners do that. But again, like I will do a full-on video. I think about the specifics of what happens in Eternals number seven because it's extremely exciting. It's extremely smart. And what I will say... What I will say that doesn't really spoil anything that's happened in the run so far is Thanos has a major presence, right? No secret there. Like I said, right up front, Gillen and Rivage are smart enough to realize if we want to make this series, one, sell, and two, tap into some more interesting elements, you know, we should include Thanos. Like this is a character with history and legacy that is brilliantly, brilliantly connected to the Eternals via the work of Mark Grunewald. Actually, um, longtime Marvel writer and editor, he connects. He's basically like, hey, Jack Kirby, meet Jim Starlin, mashes those two ideas up. Jim Starlin creates the Titanian Eternals in in, um, uh, oh, man, Mentor and Star Fox and Thanos and that family. And then Mark Grunewald takes that and says, all right, let's meet Kirby's Eternals who live in Olympia. And he mashes all that up in these what if backup issues that came out in like the late 70s into the early 80s. And Gillen and Ribbage now we're finally running with that and saying, okay, one of the Eternal's long-lost cousins are Thanos? Why has that story not been told before? And it's doing so in these extremely, extremely interesting ways. Um, it picks up very directly where Donny Cates left Thanos after Guardians of the Galaxy. It doesn't ignore, you know, the continuity of where Thanos, the Mad Titan, has been. It picks up very directly and explains things, and that's actually very much a part of the story as it's happening now. But one thing I was thinking about in regards to X-Men and I'll answer this after I get a sip here, is, okay, Eternals has Thanos, supervillain that makes this series a lot more interesting. It's it's engaging both to people who maybe are less familiar with the Eternals, but also just to me, who just loves the character. Um, Does Krakoa and the X-Men have a Thanos? Does it have a supervillain pull right now in Thanos' magnitude, and does it need one? All right, that's the question I'm wondering about. Who is the Thanos of Krakoa? Okay. Going into the, the Dawn of X and the Reign of X, I would have thought, like, Apocalypse is a good fit for that, right? A character with that sort of charisma and history and pull. And Apocalypse is off the board. We know that, right? Apocalypse has been off the board since Ten of Swords. Isn't going to be coming back, presumably, for some time. Probably won't see Apocalypse again in Inferno. It'll probably be well after into the post-Hickman era of X-Men, right? Magneto... Certainly a character with that magnetism, right? If you will, with that charisma, Um, but not operating in a supervillain sense, right? Magneto is very much a piece of all this. So is Apocalypse. You know, it's one of the things about House and Powers is bringing everyone together for the handshake and saying, hey, let's all get along mutant kind. It kind of makes it so the supervillains who usually carry the pull of Thanos are off the table right? And that takes out the most interesting ones, okay? So, the big bad, obviously, the big bad of the X-Men universe is machine intelligence, more specifically, Nimrod, okay? And so far, with the exception of powers of 10, Nimrod has not been nearly as engaging as any of what I just described, right? Nobody would say Nimrod is on par with Thanos. Nobody would say Nimrod is in par with Apocalypse and Magneto when they're at their peak in terms of threats, in terms of specific villains. Could they get there because Hickman made Nimrod and Powers of 10 so fun? Yeah, we've seen it done. We've seen it done, but we're not there yet. Okay. We're not there yet. So like this isn't to say the X-Men don't have threats. Clearly they do. They have a ton of threats, but I don't know that the X-Men franchise really has a clear Thanos. I don't know that they have like a scheming mastermind or put another way, right? Look at Hickman's Fantastic Four and his build through Secret Wars, Dr. Doom, right? Another all-time great supervillain who is pulling the series along, who every time they're on screen, there's a charge of electricity that this is going to be exciting and this could be great. X-Men's kind of missing that. It's kind of missing that right now because the threats are collectives. The threats are groups. The threats are nebulous, okay? And, um, I don't know that it's necessarily a bad thing, quote unquote, right? Um, but it is something that I was thinking about reading Eternals number seven, thinking like, it's just easier to sink your hooks into, oh, Thanos is here and he's he's got a story to tell. Okay. And we got to see what he's going to, what havoc he's going to wreak on the Eternals. And it's not even just like a big Eternals versus Thanos beat him up. That's not the appeal. The appeal is what is he scheming and what's he going to change? And how is that going to shake up what we know about this franchise? you know? And I think with Krakoa, you know, the answer in a lot of ways with the X-Men right now is, well, all of those answers could be various individuals who think they're doing the right thing, who are um, typically heroes, or at least acting in heroic fashion, right? Professor X, Martyr McTaggart. Of course, you have the Mystique and Destiny faction who are, you know, Long time villains, but here they're acting in the best interest of mean kind, potentially, or at least they think they are. Right? So I, it's more nebulous. There's a lot more nuance. There's gray area, which is generally a good thing for story. Um, but I do think missing that hook, maybe missing Nimrod as the like, like Nimrod is new. Nimrod's an infant with Orcus, you know, as opposed to the scheming mastermind of Powers of Ten that we can really just like choose some scenery. You know, Dr. Devo or Director Devo of Orcus, that's that's like a nothing character so far. That's all potential, nothing delivered. Um, I think Krakow is kind of missing that. Shadow King's been pulling it off in New Mutants. Like on the scale of the New Mutants comic book, Shadow King has been pulling that weight, I think. And that is something that a lot of this era of X-Men comics and a lot of the ongoing titles are lacking. Okay, so again... There's no one right way to, to tell a superhero story, but definitely reading Eternals, I'm like, who's the Thanos of this story? And I don't think we have a clear answer, Um, at least as the story's been presented, you know, definitely through Inferno. We'll see more of this. And again, like if the answer is Moira, that's cool. That's awesome. We've barely seen her, <laughs> you know, we, we just haven't seen enough of her. Like, so you just don't get... Those moments of electrifying, exciting, exciting stuff. So, all right. Again, if you if you're interested in learning more about the Eternals, about Thanos, um, I did do a video previously that asked the question: Is Thanos a mutant? Is Thanos an Eternal? Uh, you can find that on the channel. Um, just like and subscribe to the channel here, and you'll get the the more the update I'm going to do about that. I won't spoil it, but basically uh, Thanos' current relationship to the Eternals. Um, what it means for the Marvel Universe, what it means for the Eternals franchise, and why it's so, so flipping cool in this current run. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk X-Men Comics here. I'm gonna talk about Hellions number 17 and Excalibur number 25. Again, if you have questions you want to get in, definitely fire them off here in the chat and I'll tackle what I can. <sighs> All right. Let's start with Hellions number 17. We got writer Zeb Wells, artist Steven Segovia, colors by Rain Barreto, letters by Ariana Maher. Um, Good. (laughs) Hellions is good. It's been good. Uh, I'm still, you know, I'm disappointed it's ending with issue 18. That's a bummer just because it's been so great. I also get it, right? Good things should end. Um, And the end of this year is obviously going to mark some sort of transformative change in the X-Men franchise as Inferno wraps up. Uh, so it'll be a bummer to see it go, but it is also the right time. You know, I think the, the real loss here would be if Zeb Wells exits the X office post Hellions, you know, because like, this is unquestionably my favorite Zeb Wells Marvel comic. And there are some other really good ones, you know, definitely back in like the Dark Rain era. Um, but Hellions has been so good. It's so smart. So funny. Uh, it's so consistent. It, it really, it's taking all these characters that I would not have been here for a series for and convinced me that, like, yeah, I love Nanny maker stories. That's my favorite thing. That was not true um, prior to Zeb Wells' writing. So I just, I, I really hope Wells isn't, like, formally going to just be all-time Spider-Man after this and is going to do something else in the X office but we will see. Um, so the, the focus of this issue was, it turns out, the little baby from the right, the little right robot uh, that Nanny stole and was trying to raise as her own is... Um, the right come back to collect. Okay. So they get their little baby robot. They hurt Nanny in the process. Orphan Maker's like, this is my chance to prove myself to, um, to Nanny. He goes to rescue the little baby, kills a bunch of people on the right. Um, They're awful. So, you know, is like, "Mm, yeah. And, uh, and in doing so, we learned that the little baby right robot is in fact, a self-replicating mutant AI that hates mutants. Okay. Uh, Actually is fulfilling it's it's, you know, machine coded purpose in wanting to destroy mutant kind, which is what these right robots are created to do. So that happens. Uh, you know, Peter Orphan Maker here, he just goes on an absolute violent tear. He's killing a bunch of the right um, at the end of this issue. He's losing it so much that he kills a couple police officers who come to check on the scene uh, who are not members of the right, which creates a more. Tenuous political situation for Krakoa, which Emma Frost is kind of overseeing and being like, "Hey, this could be a problem," and yeah, it seems like it probably will be. Um, again, the, this cast of characters is super compelling. I did not ever expect to love Quanan and John Crow and Empath and Havoc all getting together and hating each other but working together, and um, and and it just works. Everything about it, it, it really does. I'm seeing a question here. Will the Hellions be getting the hole? Will anyone get tossed into the hole? I mean, here's the thing I don't, I don't know post Inferno that that's going to be a punishment that applies. Like, I would actually think it's not, you know? Um, I, uh, unless. You know, unless they taught Professor Magneto him, but I think they're going to be more of an example in that. And I think, you know, the, the likelihood here is that Sabretooth gets out of the hole because we know there's a Sabretooth series coming by Victor Laval. Um, it's probably going to be a part of this story, I would hope. And uh, said, so no, I don't expect any of the Hellions to be in the hole because I don't think that's going to be a punishment that applies to anyone on Krakoa once Inferno is done. At least I would be a little bit surprised by that. Um, I don't know. There's just like, there's nothing bad ever to say about Hellions. <laughs> it's it's it, one of the best comics of the last couple years, not just Marvel. You know, like, it's just one of the most fun superhero comics out there, and it's gonna suck when it's done. Um, but again, like, it'll have had 18 good issues, and I'd rather have it go out on a high note than run too long. All right, so then we go. Uh, the curriculum for the next issue reads We All Fall Down. Um, it's gonna be the final issue of this. You know, I think it's gonna be the formal... Breaking up the formal dissemination of the Hellions unit, even though that has more or less already happened. Um, it's just going to put an end to it, you know, I, I think, and, and we will not have a Hellions franchise. We'll see what becomes of those characters, of course, as as Krakoa progresses. Excalibur, um, number 25, writer, Teeny Howard, artist, Marcus Toe, colors, Eric Arseniga, letters, Joe Carr Magna. Shouts? To the sea, mighty world of Marvel number nine footnote <laughs> to explain Tom Lennox. Love, love, love Marvel running it back to the uh, Alan Moore, Alan Davis era of Captain Britain that you can't get on Marvel Unlimited because <laughs> these were Marvel UK comics and who knows what the what the deal is with the Alan Alan Moore rights situation. Um, but you can't find in trade. You can't find in trade. I think finally reprinted after years and years not being. Uh, in print um i've written i've done a video about that i've written about it before the allens work on captain murk is great that's who these characters are tom lennox strike that's where all that's from basically you know in the the 80s story they were these low-level telepaths who worked with betsy in like a uk shield offshoot which was called strike um and now we're reclaiming them as mutants essentially so okay cool that's a good reference um it's more useful just to go and read the allens work because it's really good uh, Excalibur number 25, I think in a lot of ways it's doing the stuff that I wanted this run to be doing, you know, which is kind of what I said last issue. um It is, I think if you've been into it, like the build and now getting to this payoff is structurally, it makes a lot of sense. You know, we have slow built to this war for Otherworld. We have slow built to the return of King Arthur. We have had this mystery of how saturnine ascended to the Citadel, of what happened to Merlin to make him fall so low. All that is kind of building to a head as now we have the forces of Saturnine and Captain Britain versus the forces of Merlin, Team with the Fury. And you just kind of have all this history of Captain Britain and Otherworld and Psylocke um, and Betsy Braddock, rather, merging together and and coming together in this war for Otherworld. If you're into that stuff, if you're a Betsy Braddock fan and you're into Captain Britain legacy and, and mythology... This is pretty cool <laughs> you know i think it's it's pretty well done it's got all the elements um and and i i think you know i can quibble with all the stuff that i've quibbled with in the past but like it is doing the stuff that i wanted it to now it is um it is incorporating all of that other world world building that happened in ten of swords in fun ways like it's cool to see merlin versus all of the mutants that we know and see like the fury bust down a wall and break in, right? To see um, you know, Jamie Braddock need to use his reality warping powers and the whole family Braddock coming together, including the little baby of Brian and Megan. Uh, it's been paying off. It's it, truly like it's been paying off if you've been sticking with it. Um, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's like a long-term masterpiece or anything like that, you know, but it's definitely paying off in the ways it suggested it would and sort of promised to. Um so the the cliffhanger here is actually probably the thing I'm most interested in. Uh, it reads, you know, Kirk Cohen um, reads Otherworld Falls for the next issue. But the the cliffhanger here, Saturnine I telling Betsy how she, she said, I'm going to tell you how I ascended to the Citadel, uh, which actually sounds really interesting. Like, I'm interested in that story. I'm interested in what she knows of what became of the Captain Britain Corps post-Secret Wars, you know, exactly. And then, like, kind of exactly how they came back. Anything mythology related or sort of how these teams... Um, you know, went away and then came back and and just like understanding around. Okay, what is the story there? That could be cool. Uh, I gotta say, like, I'm not super invested in like the return of King Arthur in Otherworld. Um, there's a really good King Arthur book right now. It's just called Once in Future. <laughs> you know, like it's already happening. It's just drawn by Dan Mora. Um, I, I'm more interested in King Arthur's son, Modred, as a as a mutant, I guess, in Otherworld and what that would mean. So, it's. uh it's paying off the way it suggested it would. It's doing, it's building to an ending uh, th- that I think is, you know, that's what this run has been doing. So if you've been with it for the full ride, great. If you haven't, like, you don't want to jump back in now. Like, it's not, it's not going to do something super new that's going to, um, like, blow your mind or anything. I mean, I think the most interesting question too with this run is, like, Mad Jim Jasper is still out there, still this, like, almost Omega-level threat. Like, what, what is Jim Jasper's role to play in this? He's been mysteriously quiet. Um, What exactly is Merlin's game, aside from just getting power and reclaiming Otherworld? I mean, we still haven't learned, like, what's up with Mercator, the faction of Otherworld, named for the only Omega-level mutant we haven't seen in the Krakoa era. You know, I don't necessarily expect we'll even get that answer in this run, but that's a pretty interesting mystery. And then you have all these Ten of Swords players, you know, from Seveleth and and you have literal death, Apocalypse Sun out there. Like, there's a lot from Ten of Swords that makes Otherworld interesting and cool that can be played with right now. It's an interesting space. I kind of, you know, with the Krakoan reading Otherworld Falls, that's great and all, but I kind of hope we're not done with all that world building in Ten of Swords. Like, there was so much effort and so much interesting stuff done there. I don't actually want it to be a space that becomes, like, uninhabitable or unusable uh that would feel like kind of a waste of of all of that effort made to make other world interesting again all right so i think those are the main things i want to talk about today um, it, let's see does anybody have any major questions uh or any big stuff before i go i'll be happy to address it again i'm Dave. you can find all my writing at comicbookherald.com if you like the YouTube channel, if you like the website, um, like what I do, you can go to patreon.com slash comicbookherald for ways to support the site. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. Thanks to everyone who does it. Uh, you can uh, find me on social at comicbookherald on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm most frequently probably on Twitter uh, if you want to chat or, or have questions there, and, and we can address them. Uh, comicbookherald, again, we have really good stuff going this week from essays from a bunch of different writers. I gotta say, like different writers and stuff that have been doing essays have been killing it. We had a great article last weekend uh from Mark Turetsky about the Gillen rivage Eternals run, how it connects to Isaac Asimov's foundation and robot series. Uh, if you're a fan of either of those, it is definitely, definitely really, really great reading that I recommend. Uh, what about Secret X-Men? People want to know about Secret X-Men. That is the new series, um, or one-shot, it would seem that was announced, it's gonna be written by Teeny Howard. Uh, I'm forgetting the artist off the top of my head, but that's coming in February. It's going to be all the X-Men that uh, were eligible to be voted onto the X-Men roster during the Hellfire Gala, but didn't make it, who didn't get the spot that Polaris took. They're all going to come together to save Zendra, the Empress of the Shi'ar Empire, again. <laughs> we saw Storm save her. We saw Storm and Cyclops and Jean Grey. Uh, in one of the Hickman X-Men issues, uh, Xandra apparently needs saving again. Uh, this just keeps happening over and over. We just saw the Shi'ar Imperial Guard absolutely uh, decimated by the Lethal Legion in S.W.O.R.D. So, like, not a great time. Not a great time to be part of the Shi'ar Empire. Um, kind of a lame ally, it would seem, for the X-Men and Mutant Kind, at least the way they've been performing lately. Uh, l- do, do I see... Do I think we'll be seeing a mutant Imperial Guard at some point in line with what we saw of Moira's Life 9? Um, that's a cool idea and a cool question. I mean, I think so. like, here's here's what I'm interested in with with Zandra is she's a young Empress of the Shira Empire. She keeps needing the mutants to save her. So I would like to see Zandra take some initiative. And be like, here's what I'm going to do as Empress. I'm going to recruit some some of mutant kind. I'm going to build my own force. Uh, you know, the, the ways we're doing things are not working clearly. Um, so let's connect with Krakoa. Let's bring them in more more strictly as allies. Maybe it's with Sword. Maybe it's just with the Krakoa directly. I think that would be cool to see Zandra actually take charge and be like, who, who is she as an Empress? Who is she going to be? as a character, she's not Lalandra. She's not her father, Charles Xavier, um, or, you know, clone father, whatever the heck the, the math is there. Uh, also like what is literally any relationship between Charlie X and uh, Zandra? Let's see some more of that. Um, let's, that stuff I would like to see explained, you know, cause it, it's very, very, uh, understated and just not explored right now, but we'll see. We'll see with this one shot. I mean, I'm not like, over the moon excited, but I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. I think probably my biggest takeaways are going to be less about like I'm less into like oh I want to hang out with all these characters on a, a weird team together, and I'm more like what is Zandra's role going to be going forward, and what does this mean for the Shiar relationship? That stuff, big picture is probably pretty interesting to me. Um, all right, what other questions do we got here? <sighs> okay, okay. See it. I see it. Um, why have Xandra and Legion not met? They have a common dad. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right? Like, that's... I, have, have Xandra and Professor X even met? Like, does that happen in the Rogue Gambit mini by Kelly Thompson? Um, I don't remember. It's been, you know, a few years since I've read it now. But we need some some Xavier Xavier family stuff. Like, like Xavier's going to get a comeuppance, right, by the end of Inferno. Uh, so definitely, I think that should include, like, him being brought low should humble Professor Xavier. Humble and Professor Xavier are not words that typically go together. That could potentially lead to Professor X being like, I need to rethink things and make amends, connect with Zandra, connect with Legion, um, you know, connect with anyone he's hurt over the years, <clears throat> Gabriel Haller, and, uh, and and make amends, if you will, right? I think... I think that would be a nice direction for Professor X going forward. It would actually open up sort of like a Mike Carey X-Men Legacy-esque series. You know, the way Carey's X-Men Legacy began was with Professor X kind of brought low and needing to, to deal again sort of with, like, who he'd hurt and sort of what he'd done as this figurehead of mutant kind. Uh, I think that would actually be a good position to put him in again post-House and Powers, and as he's kind of almost certainly, inevitably not the leader of, um, of, of mutant kind and Krakoa anymore. Like, it's just not going to be the case. It's going to be Emma. It's going to be mystique. It's going to be destiny. It's going to be a new framework for who's leading Krakoa after Inferno. So, all right, unless I see anything major here, jump in. Um, I think we're about to, uh, end it, uh, your thoughts on nature girls mentality regarding her handling of saving the Earth. (laughs) Her handling of saving the Earth is uh, killing a lot of people, um, killing a lot of humans who are enabling ecological disaster. Uh, This is in the X-Men, what do they call it? Uh, Marvel Unlimited Infinity Comics, which which are growing on me, actually. Um, I, I do actually like... Having new stuff popping in Marvel Unlimited all the time that you can just quick scroll through on your phone. None of them are like crazy special, but they're they're cheap and easy, um, and and you know light fun. Nature Girl is is I guess maybe not light fun. <laughs> She's very violent and murderous. And if ever there was a argument to be made for we need to keep the hole as punishment, I guess Nature Girl is working her way towards it. Um, I'm a couple issues back probably on on the story, so maybe some newer stuff has happened. Um, I it's not. Super, like, I'm not, it's not like I have, like, this tremendous affinity for Nature Girl beyond Generation X, you know, a series she was in where I'm like, I can't believe she's behaving like this. Like, I don't have that much familiarity with the character. Uh, I think it makes sense that a character that's connected to the environment would react in this way. Uh, And, you know, I think the interesting questions are, like, how does Kurt Kroa react and what do they do about one of their own? Because really, if you go across the line, if you run through the line, like, X-Men have not just gone rogue and killed bunches and bunches of humans right like with the exception obviously of like your x-force or um the hellions right these sort of like state-sanctioned acts of violence you don't really have like a saber tooth going out and just murdering humans but that's actually what nature girl's doing right now um i'd say spoiler alert but it's happening it's been happening for weeks (laughs) and it's happening a lot uh and that actually raises like an interesting council conversation, but for the fact that Inferno's happening and there are much more interesting council conversations to be had about the big picture of where Kirko is going and all that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, like, I don't... I, 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 the series is pretty interesting, I gotta say. Um, I've seen some people rejecting, like, sort of this this destruction of Nature Girl, you know, sort of this this irredeemable path, potentially. Um, but I actually think it makes some more interesting commentary than... Maybe the series had to. I mean, I think X Men Green, which is what they're calling the Duggan part of this, the the nature girl parts are better than the the Hickman Declan Shalvey stuff with Wolverine, which was just a big nothing. Which was just a big, um, hey, let's kick off this service with some high profile creators. You know, Duggan's actually saying something. So I think like, yeah, <laughs> it's bad. it's better than the than the predecessor, which uh, which I would not have expected. All right, thanks everybody for listening. This has been Casual Krakoa meets Casual Kirby. Uh, Next week, I'm sure I'll be back um, with, or maybe not next week. I don't know. But uh, but you know, most weeks I'll be back with Casual Krakoa, uh, assuming the X Men comics are big and interesting and have plenty to talk about. But you know, I mean, like I said previously, like we're we're in a holding pattern here for issues of Inferno. We are waiting it out. We're running out the clock for Inferno number three, and then in December Inferno number four. So thanks everybody who joined live. Thank you for listening. And, again, I'm Dave. You can find me stuff at comicberkerald.com, at pretty much anywhere on social. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the comics.